Let's pray. Father, as we come today, your word calls us to sing with joy because of who you are and all that you've done. But a lot of us have to come today and confess that we've not spent our week rejoicing in you and worshiping you and loving you. And so we pray today that you would that you would speak to our hearts and give us forgiveness for all the ways that we've turned to other things, thinking that other people and other things and other successes are great. God, we've worshiped ourselves and our own desires. And so I pray today as we worship that you would call us again to worship you and that you would call to us that there is forgiveness for those of us that have worshiped and served ourselves and created things around us. God, I pray that today that you would remind us that there is nobody on earth like you. There is nobody who is powerful even over the armies of the world, even over the battles that are happening even right now. There's nobody who controls the rising of the sun to its setting when the storms come, when the rain falls. God, I pray that you would call to us today from your word, from the songs that we sing, and that you would call us away from worshiping small things to worship you. God, I pray that you would give us a desire to love you more than anything. You, you call us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we haven't done that. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. That you would give us the spirit so that we love you more than anything else. That nothing else will satisfy us. Not success, not a job, not money, not what other people think about us not restored relationships, not freedom from pain. God, I pray that the thing that we love more than anything would be you. God, I pray that today you would forgive us for how hard our hearts can be, just like Israel at wandering in the wilderness and turning away from the God that had just saved them. We will so easily on Monday morning or Tuesday or even today turn away to ourselves, turn away and think, oh, God won't save us. God doesn't care about us. God's promises aren't true. And so I pray, God, that you would give us soft hearts today from your word. I pray that you would give us soft hearts so that we can go through this week with our priorities in the right place. And so that the, the things that we love and the, thing, and the one that we bow down to is you. God, I pray for, um, for our missionaries today in Jamaica. God, I pray as they're finishing their careers as missionaries, winding down their time in Jamaica. God, I pray that you would show them that you're not done with them and that you would do your work in their hearts. May your priorities be their priorities. May the way that you want the time to be spent be the way that they spend their time and their lives. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom about the leaders in their ministry, the pastor of the local church. God, I pray that you would raise up missionaries and pastors and leaders there in Jamaica. There's a long history of missions in Jamaica, and God, I pray that you would continue that good work that you've done there, that you would give them hope and give them strength in these final days that they're there. And God, we pray today for our sister church down in Root House at Emmanuel. God, we pray your great blessing on their service today. We pray, Lord, that you would be loved and honored above all things. God, I pray that they would, uh, that they would get an unquenchable thirst for you. I pray that they would worship you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray that your word would be spoken clearly to them, that you would use it to call them away from the small things that they worship and instead worship and serve you. God, I pray that you would make their church be a light in Root House. 
There's so many people there who need to hear of the great love of God. God, there are people whose lives and homes need to be turned upside down. And so I pray that you would use our brothers and sisters there at Emmanuel to be that light there to the people. Pray that it would be a, a visible representation of the kingdom of God in Root House that says the great God of the universe owns this town and he loves it and he gave his son for the people who live here. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where does your joy come from? Joy is not a word we use often. Where does your joy come from? Maybe another question. Where does your protection come from? Where does your where does your qualification come from? We're in church, so I know the, we all know the answer that we're supposed to give. I heard a story a number of years ago about a Sunday school teacher asking the kids, okay, kids, what is small and brown and has a fluffy tail? And the kids just looked at her. And she said, come on, guys, you know, it gathers nuts and it climbs trees. And everyone looks at her. And one little boy raised his hand and said, well, it sounds like you're talking about a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> and I was thinking of that story because I ask a question like, where does protection come from? Where does joy come from? And all of us know on Sunday morning we're supposed to say, Jesus. But the reality of my own life, my own heart, my own home, the reality of what I know of our lives together is most of us have other places that we try to find joy. We, we might not say, well, I'm doing this because I want joy, but that's like the, we're trying to find something that will cover up the pain and give us some measure of happiness, some substance that will do it, some experience that will do it, some relationship. That we go through our lives looking for protection, and we go through our lives looking for somebody to say, you're okay, you're qualified, you're good enough. We try to find some way of proving that to the world. And so we come on a Sunday morning and we put on nice clothes and we, we can say the answer, Jesus, but the reality is most of us, if we look at our week, we could probably point to one thing that we were just like, I, that was an effort to find joy. We live in a world where there are cannabis dispensaries and video gaming on every corner. Our friends and neighbors are constantly trying to find something that will give them joy and give them safety. It's something that will say you're good enough. And so today we're in John 17, where we're going to hear what Jesus has to say about where those things come from. Go ahead and turn with me to John 17. This series is called What Jesus Prayed for You. And John 17, sandwiched in between Jesus instituting the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, washing feet, and then he's going to go to the garden, then he's going to be arrested, be tried, and go to the cross. John 17 is where Jesus prays for those who follow him, which means that for those of us here today, Jesus is pray, prayed 2,000 years for you and I. Jesus prayed for you and I, and what I want to show you today in this passage is that Jesus talks about, with his Father, these these issues of joy and protection and being qualified, being affirmed, being approved, being good enough. I want to show you today. We're going to start in verse 13. Verses 13 to 19. 
Jesus prays, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For, I, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray. God, I pray that as, you, we, as we hear your word, that you would speak to us clearly. Give us ears to hear it. To know what it is that was on Jesus' heart that he wanted us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus could have prayed these prayers quietly like most of his prayers. Most of the time, his disciples didn't get to go with him and they didn't know what Jesus was praying. But this is one that he wanted them to hear and so he prayed right there in front of them. And what I want, you to, what I want to show you today is in this prayer, it is a call to you and I to receive Jesus' joy, protection, and qualification. Jesus in this prayer calls to us and says, receive my joy, protection, and qualification. I want to show you three things that Jesus offers you today. First, receive joy from Jesus. Look at verses 13 and 14. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. Or I speak these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Jesus here says, I am praying these things. I'm speaking these things, Father, to you. I'm, I'm saying this stuff, and this is what's so important here, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I think we need to slow down and look at those words. Because Jesus uses the word joy there, but he says, doesn't just say, Father, I say these things, I pray these things for them so that they may have joy, but he says the full measure of joy. Not just enough to get through a little bit, not a little bit of happiness, he says, but so that they may have the, the full measure, completely full level of joy. But more than that, he also says so that they may have the full measure of my joy. Jesus prays here for you to have as much joy as he had. Jesus prayed for you here that the real you in the real family, in the real household, in the real emptiness, in the real empty rooms, and the empty pockets of your heart. He says for that one, the one that has those relationship problems, those that have been abandoned in that way, he says, Father, I want them to have the full measure of the joy that I have. Those that have messed up like you have, Jesus prays and says, Father, I pray and ask and say these things so that they can have all of the joy that I have. Jesus gives us this picture here that he is offering all of his joy to his people. 
And I want you to notice then how he says that's going to happen. The way that that happens, he says, it's because he asks for it. He asks for joy, which tells us that the heart of joy in Christianity is something that is received, not earned. He says, Father, I speak these things so that they may have joy. He doesn't say, Father, I give them a list of commands so that they can have joy. He says, Father, I am praying for them that you give them a joy they couldn't get somewhere else or some other way. Jesus gives us a picture here of a joyous, word-filled Jesus who goes in and through the world not in the way that I can so easily picture him, maybe that we've seen in movies or pictures, of the somber, sad, calm Jesus that never smiles, that never does anything, never gets close to anybody. Here he gives us this picture, Father, I have gone through the world full of joy, and can you give it to her? Can you give it to him? Even if the family doesn't change, even if her husband doesn't change, Father, even if their kids still reject them and push them away and want nothing to do with them, Father, can you give them joy? The heart of Christianity that we see here in the words of Jesus, praying for his disciples and sharing with them joy. And so what, what, words, what words is Jesus referring to when he says, I want them to have joy? What words is he said? What, what words is he talking about? If we just go through the book of John, if we just go through the book of John, we have Jesus saying things like, Father, I've come so that they can be not just, not just included in the tribe of Israel, but so that they could become children of God. He says, I've come so that they may have eternal life. He says, I have come so that they can do the very work that God wants them to do, which is simply to believe. I've come to be the light of the world, Jesus says. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, Father, I'm not going to leave them as orphans. Jesus says, I call you friends. Not just servants, Jesus says, but if you're my disciple, you're my friend. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I've come so that they can have life to the full. I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says in the book of John, those who come to me, I'm never going to drive them away. And it's those words that Jesus, I think, intends his disciples to think about when he says, Father, I say these things so that they can have joy. Because it's so easy for you and I to put our joy in what do other people think about us? Do other people approve? Do other people think that we're good parents, that we're good people? Do other people think that we do a good job and affirm us? It's so easy for us to put our joy in things with if I just buy another outfit, if I just buy another item for my collection, if I just get another bow or another tractor or a bigger truck, then I'm going to be happy. And Jesus says, no, I have come and I offer life that simply comes from my words. I offer joy that comes simply from my words. Jesus said, this is what it means to be a disciple. It's to receive Jesus' words. And in that, we first see Jesus says, receive joy. 
The second thing that Jesus offers you today is receive protection from Jesus. Look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This is the second time Jesus has prayed, asking the Father to protect his disciples. Which tells us that Jesus says that the source of protection in the Christian life is something that's given, not something that's earned. The source of protection is something that the Father gives. And so Jesus here says, Father, keep them from the evil one. He's also repeating this theme of they are not of the world. And you may go, what what does that mean? What do you mean, not of the world? And the sense that this passage has is that we don't belong to the world because we didn't get our life from it. Those that have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus no longer belong to the world and the ways and the things that come from it. Our hearts don't belong uh, with Satan and with the world. And so he says, Father, they don't belong to the evil one. They don't get their lives from the evil one. And Father, can you protect them from the evil one? Many of us here today live in fear, different kinds of fear. I don't know what your kind of fear is, but most people I know live in some kind of fear. Whether it's a fear of what the future holds, whether it's a fear of somebody and something in power over us, whether it's a fear of something happening to us again, most of us live with this crippling fear that creeps in and says, you don't know what's around the next bend. You don't know what hospital room. You don't know what graveside. You don't know what relationship is going to fold. You don't know what job you could lose. You don't know what's going to happen to your retirement. Most of us have some kind of fear that we constantly live with. And Jesus here says protection and safety is a gift that comes from God. And so All it takes is opening your hands to receive it. Jesus here says, let me take over your care. And so he says, Father, protect them from the evil one. Remember, that's the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And here he steps in and says, Father, I ask that you keep them from the evil one. This is a call to you and I to stop searching for protection and safety in a big enough retirement, in a relationship that's finally safe. Stop looking for safety in a government leader. Stop looking for safety in some way of building your house so that nobody can hurt you. Stop trying to find your safety in protecting your heart so that nobody can ever get in again and do that to you again. Jesus says, stop searching. I have the protection that you need. Jesus prays that for his disciples here. When I took uh, the family on vacation last month, we were in a lake area that had hundreds of these uh, kind of like treasure boxes called geocaches. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Never really done it with the, the kids before, but we were kind of out in parks and out in different places. And I went, hey, let's give it a try. So we started going around, and it's basically, it gives you instructions about generally where this treasure box is going to be at. 
And so then you've got to go and find out where it is and what it looks like and what it is. For example, like some of them would be, you know, those like secret compartments you put a key inside, you know, so that you can let your, uh, maybe the, uh, somebody into your house, you know, so you've got like an extra spare key in one of the sliding key boxes. Sometimes it would be obvious like that. There was one, we weren't exactly sure if we knew what it, we were looking for, but we were like, if this is it, it's really clever. And if it's not it, we had a really good time imagining that that's what this treasure box was. But the very first one that we went to go and look for, we, we knew it was around the entrance to this visitor center. And I was like, kids, it's over somewhere in this area. And I'm thinking, it's going to be small, it's going to be difficult. And so like, I'm like, okay, it's a treasure box, it's going to be hard. And so we're like searching, and there's like all sorts of big rocks. And I'm like, are these fake? You know, um, small rocks, are these fake? And so I'm looking everywhere, thinking, what is this going to be? And one of the kids goes, is that it? And it was a white box that said geocache across it. You know, it's about, about as big as my Bible. And so I was like, that's our first one. It smacks you in the face, super obvious. This is the thing that you're looking for. And I was thinking of that story because here Jesus does that same kind of thing and says, here's what you're looking for. You're looking for safety. And Jesus says, I am asking the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence to protect you. So stop searching other places for it. Jesus says, I created the world with my words. And then I died on the cross for your sins, showing how much I love you, and then came back to life. I think I have enough power to protect you. So trust me. Stop looking other places. Stop looking to some other relationship, some amount of money, some amount of closing off your heart. Jesus says, stop searching for protection. It's right here. So I want you to I want you to remember is that right now Jesus prayed for your protection from the evil one. But not only that, he prayed for your grandkids' protection from the evil one. Jesus prayed for your home's protection from the evil one. Jesus prayed for your protection from the temptation of the evil one. And so Jesus says, can you trust me? Can you trust me? And receive the protection that I offer. That I will never leave you or forsake you. That I'm never going to drop the ball. I'm never going to go off duty. Jesus says, receive protection from me. The third thing that Jesus offers you today is Jesus offers, it says, receive qualification from me. That's kind of a weird word to use. But I want you to notice verses 17 to 19. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's an even stranger word to use. We don't really use sanctify except in a a very churchy sense. You may know sanctify is a word that means to set apart something for a specific purpose. Usually holiness. Usually sanctify them has to do with preparing the priest for what, you ha- what the priests are supposed to do. And so the priests were supposed to be set apart as holy and separate and unstained and perfect. That's what the disciples were set apart to do. The idea is that they were being qualified for the work that God has for them. On their own, 
The priests are not welcome in the presence of God. They don't get to stand between people and God. They don't get to worship with God. And so they have to be set apart and qualified for the role that he has for them. And so then Jesus picks this word up, sanctify, and says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, I think, is praying here, qualify them by your words for the things that you have for them. What role is he praying for them? Qualify, sanctify them. Look at verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. As the priests were set apart and qualified to go into the tabernacle and the temple. Then Jesus is saying, Father, I'm sending these disciples off to Turkey and to Rome. And I'm sending them to Iran and to India. I'm sending them down to Ethiopia. I'm sending them to Manchester. Can you qualify them for the thing that you have for them to do? Sanctify them, Father, for the work that we have to do. How does he do that? If if Jesus is qualifying and setting apart his people, how does he do it? Look at verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Not sanctify them with ceremonies. He doesn't say sanctify them by making sure that there's enough distance in between their last sins and now. He doesn't say sanctify them by giving enough money or being baptized or any of those things. He says sanctify them by the truth, by your word. God, you are qualifying your people by the words that you speak. This tells us that you and I receive qualification that comes from God simply because he gives us his word. Maybe you're at home and you go, how am I qualified to lead my family and to love my kids when my heart is such a mess? And Jesus says, qualification is not earned, it is received, and it comes from my word. So if you're a dad in despair and going, I don't, I don't know how to teach my kids about Jesus, I've dropped the ball so many different ways. Jesus here says, receive it from my word, not from what you've done. If you're a grandparent and you're going, what, who, how can I make a difference in my kids and my grandkids' lives? How, how do I make a difference? Maybe you're going, how, how, do I, how do I live for Jesus at my work? Jesus says, qualification for the work that he's given us is something that we receive from his word, not that we earn from our works. But I want you to notice there's a second way that Jesus says, uh, Set them apart, qualify, sanctify them. In verse 19, Jesus says the second way that he he says, For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Put slightly differently, Jesus says, For them I qualify myself so that they too can be truly qualified. Jesus is here speaking of the cross. Jesus doesn't need to be set apart as holy because he is holy. But what he is saying is what I am about to do next is not for myself. It's so I can give it to them. That is the heart of what the Bible calls justification. That's the fancy word. The trade that we make with Jesus is that we have our sin and he gives us his perfection. And here he says, I'm going to qualify myself so that she can be fully qualified apart from what she's done, apart from his history, apart from what they have ever done, Jesus says, I, for them, I am sanctifying myself 
so that they can have a qualification they couldn't dream of. So if your past, whether it's the past week or the past 50 years, has lots of regret, and you go, God, how could you use me? What do you do? How, do you, how do you use somebody like me? God, you don't know what a mess I've made of my marriage. Jesus says, for them, I qualify myself so that they can be fully qualified. If you go, oh, I've wasted the last eight or 18 or 50 years as a parent, what qualification do I have? Jesus says, you can have mine. That's, the, that's what Jesus offers us here. That's why Christianity at its heart is receiving and not doing. It's because Jesus says, take my joy. Jesus says, take my protection. Jesus says, take my qualification. And that's the offer that Jesus makes. So I learned to drive in Georgia. And in Georgia, maybe things have changed. Hopefully they've changed. There were no, uh, no requirements for driver's education. And Emma would say that you can tell. <laughs> because when I, uh, when I took my driver's, uh, driver's license test, I don't remember any questions about, hey, any of the laws. I remember when 13 or so years ago when we moved to Illinois, I was like, what is this driver's test they give you where you've got to like, tell them about exits and other kinds of things? But in Georgia, like you go and the lady says, okay, we're going to do the driver's test. And so she gets in the passenger seat and she says, okay, drive down to the Taco Bell and turn around. And we drove back and I had my driver's license. There was no parallel parking. There was no, you know, lane usage. There was like nothing. In Georgia, if you can breathe, you can drive. But here, I mean, there's like every day there's uh, high school students, you know, doing tests, you know, driving uh, practice here in the square. And I was thinking of that, that qualification because Jesus here tells us if you're in Christ, you're qualified. There's no extra requirements in the Christian life. There's not like take Christian general education classes. There is discipleship that happens, but the qualification of a Christian doesn't ever change. It comes because we receive God's word and Jesus says, take my joy, take my protection, take my qualification, take my obedience, take all of what I have. It's yours. Imagine, that's the offer of Christianity and how many of our friends and neighbors have never heard that. The friends and neighbors that come and say, is your church's event free? Well, yes, it's as free as the gospel is. But they don't know that. Nobody's ever said the God of the universe says that for those that are caught and living in the land of darkness, dealing with addiction and fear and selfishness and pride, and he comes and says, apart from works, you can have my qualifications. That's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes to us and says, for them I truly sanctify myself so that they can be truly sanctified. So if you're in Christ here today, you're qualified. There's nothing else to add to it. There's no works in the church. There's no role that you could play. There's nothing else that you could add to make God say, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter. With her, I am well pleased. There's nothing left to add to it.
This passage calls us today and says, will you receive Jesus' protection and joy and and qualification? But in reality, you're not so good at this. You're not so good at joy. You're not so good at seeking your safety in the Lord. You're not so good at being sanctified and qualified. You know the list of things that could be written behind your name. You're not so good at slowing down to receive all of this from Jesus. You see, you and I, no matter what our good intentions are, will find ourselves searching for a joy this week that does not come from God. We will look in pleasure and in power. We're going to look in what other people think about us. We're going to look to getting our way to be our joy. We're going to seek our protection from someone or something other than God this week whether it's money or a person or our own control. We're going to hold up to God our qualifications and say, don't you love me now? And so where is the good news in this passage for you and me? The good news of the Bible is that those who don't deserve joy, protection, and qualification can have Jesus. Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And then he says, give them my joy. Jesus is the only person who deserved the protection of God. And then he died the death of an unrighteous, law-breaking enemy. So that he can say of you, protect her with the protection I earned. Jesus set himself apart, sanctified himself through death on the cross, so that for all who believe, the Father can declare over you, qualified with the perfect record of my Son. And so if you are in Christ, that is yours today. You you sit here and you leave with the perfect record of joy. You have the perfect record of protection, the perfect record of Jesus' qualification. Your past, present, and future have only joy and protection and qualification stamped on them. And so receive it. Receive it. But maybe you're here and you say, You keep saying, if you're in Christ, this is yours. And you say, but I'm not in Christ. I've attended church. I've heard all of the different things, but I don't know what you're talking about. Is there hope for me? Can I be included? You say, how can that be mine? The Bible tells us that God made the world and that makes him king over it. And then he put Adam and Eve in the world and said, here is my one rule, which expresses that I am your king. I am your boss. And Adam and Eve and you and I said, we will not live your way. We're not going to bow down to you. We're going to set up our own kingdoms. We're going to love ourselves and serve ourselves. The Bible calls that sin and says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, instead of the Bible stopping with sin that leads to death, the Bible is in one story leading to the life of the God-man, Jesus, who lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to life as proof that the, the, the life and death of Jesus are good enough for anybody who will simply come to him. That's what the Bible means about being sanctified and qualified by Jesus. The Bible says that becomes ours as we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus only to save us. 
And so if that's you, let today be the day of salvation. Don't put it off and say, okay, well, maybe someday. No, let today be the day where you stop trying to find joy in other things. And you say, I'll take Jesus. Where you stop trying to find protection in other things and you say, I'll take Jesus. Let today be the day that you stop trying to say, God, don't you love me now? And take Jesus. And here, qualified, beloved, stamped on your life. So that's the story of the Bible. This passage calls us, as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we hear Jesus say, Father, give them my joy. Give them my protection. Give them my qualification. I want you to imagine what might happen in your own heart if you knew deep down the, God of the, the joyful God of the universe has given you His joy. Imagine what changes in your own heart when the locks on your house didn't change, your retirement account didn't increase, but you know deep in your heart that the God of the universe has owned my safety and protection. And He's not going to let anything happen to me that He's not going to turn for His good or for His glory and for my good. Imagine what happens in your own heart when instead of wandering through life wondering, do other people think well of me? Does God love me? You hear Jesus say, for them, I qualified myself. Father, fully qualified. Imagine what changes in your own home. When your home's joy and safety and qualification doesn't come from how hard you work and how much you accomplish. But it comes simply because it's a home that says, we'll take what Jesus offers. Imagine what changes in our church. When we're not a church that's trying to do and do and do and do to please God, we're a church that says we're simply beggars receiving what we did not earn, but what Jesus gives us. I think for Manchester and for Scott County and for West Central Illinois, that makes us a good news kind of church as we call to everybody and say, join us in receiving what Jesus has to give. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help make us people that stop searching in all of these other places for joy and for protection and for qualification. I pray that you would help us take all that Jesus offers us. In Jesus' name, amen.